Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Um, Today, we're going to be discussing a very difficult topic. It's difficult times right now. Uh, The COVID-19 outbreak is impacting people across the world. And today we have some experts who are going to talk to us about maintaining emotional balance in this really unbalancing time. And we're going to talk about, you know, how to cope and how to get through some of the difficult situations that go on in a dialysis facility. So welcome to the call. Thank you, Laurie. We're delighted to be here with you and your listeners and appreciate the opportunity. My name is Glenda Harvard. I'm a nephrology nurse and a quality professional. I uh, practiced for many years uh, in, in, in actually in dialysis with direct care um, and uh, also in the ESRD network world. For the last couple of years, I've been consulting, uh, and I'm working with the Coalition for Supportive Care for Kidney Patients. I've been a member of this coalition for many years, and I think Dale will give us a little more background about that in a few minutes. And we are working to... Um, provide support for kidney patients. Um, I will go next to Dale Lupu. Dale, would you give a brief introduction? Sure. Hi. I'm Dale Lupu, and I'm a public health and uh, public policy, health policy professional, faculty member at George Washington University. And I've worked for many years in the hospice and palliative care field, and then for the last several years have worked with the coalition to help build a bridge so that the skills and information and tools that have been developed in palliative care can be made available for patients who have kidney disease. The Coalition for Supportive Care of Kidney Patients, um, we'll be talking more about that, is the organization that we're here from today, and we'll tell you a little bit more about the Coalition's mission later. Great. Thank you. Liz, would you, uh, Liz Anderson? Um, I'm Liz Anderson. I'm a social worker, um, and I am a social work professor at uh, Western Carolina University. And uh, I started my career as a hospice and palliative care social worker, and also worked for uh, the ESRD network. And just am really passionate about how can we kind of join both of those to how can we provide supportive palliative care for kidney patients that are suffering. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Now we'll go to Dr. Alvin Moss. Woody? Yes. Hi. So I'm a, a nephrologist and a palliative care physician. I do what I what I call palliative care nephrology, just like there are transplant nephrologists. I like to explain that there are palliative care nephrologists. And we really want to not only do a good job teaching other nephrologists about pain and symptom management, but also we're trying to improve the communication skills of nephrologists and everybody on the kidney care team so that uh, patients will um, will feel like they've been heard, that they've been listened to, that we know what's important to patients. And we try and teach a shared decision-making approach where patients can really feel like they're partners in the care that they're receiving and that the care that they receive aligns with what they want to receive. So 
that's part of what the coalition's about. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, because, you know, this topic is so important because we're talking about grief, we're talking about loss, and we're talking about how to transition to different situations in your life. And uh, there's a lot of similarities that go on with end of life and uh, what people are experiencing with COVID-19. So uh, let's jump into a little bit about uh, what is the goal of this specific program and maybe go through some of the steps that um, you want to teach the community. So, this is Dale. Let me just jump in and say that supportive care is really about living and living comfortably and living your life. It's, we also talk about the end of life. I like to talk about the end of life as um, helping people have a soft landing at the end of life, but there's so much before that that is, in, that is important in supportive care. So, just in, in the time of COVID, where it's so important and so many people are working on the infection control and on getting the proper PPE, in other words, personal protective, protective equipment, the masks to people, getting the right medicines to people. But the coalition's task that we've taken on is to get the right words to people so that we can increase not just the supply of infection control equipment, but we can increase the supply of comfort and empathy that is available. And they're both important. It's not either or. I love that. I love that. The supply of empathy. That should be trademarked. Um, because, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, maybe it should. Uh, you know, it it is such an important topic because uh, the emotional stages of any uh grief or, or situation, the shock, denial, fear, anger, depression, grief, and then finally understanding acceptance. Uh, I know that when I was on dialysis or I was going through something traumatic, if somebody just would say, you know what, you're, it's going to be okay. You can really, just some words of comfort to acknowledge that I'm experiencing these vast emotions that I may have never experienced before and which can lead to some pretty bad anger outbursts if you don't nip them in the butt. So uh, why don't we go a little bit about some of the communication strategies you're, you're talking about that you want to spread the word with, world with more empathy and cheers to you. Part of what you uh, just said, Lori, is it, and that is that we have to actually acknowledge emotion, that um, one of the things that I've learned in talking with patients through all these years is that they're going to have a wide range of emotions, or people will have a wide range of emotions regardless of whether or not we acknowledge them. So we can journey, we can choose to journey with people um, through their difficult emotions. And so oftentimes just being able to be present with um, people through that is really important. From the, the patient end, I think part of what we um, we think about in terms of dealing with those emotions is trying to help pe- connect people to other professionals that they can talk to or family members that they can talk to um, and share that emotional piece with, um, you know, acknowledging their own emotions. So when we have those emotions come up, like fear and anxiety, as I think probably everybody that is existing today has, is acknowledge that that's normal and that it is okay to have those feelings and they also aren't going to last forever. Um, and so we want to be able to tap into to that piece as well. And then, you know, just finding strategies in our life, in our day-to-day life that can 
um, help us manage those emotions, doing things like making sure we have a routine, um, making sure that we limit our news and media, um, and making sure that we're finding joy in everyday life, um, that even though the world around us at times is really scary, making sure that we, um, that we are still living in the present and that we are um, doing things that bring us happiness as well as part of coping with that emotional piece. Well, you know, I often say when I'm upset or uh, I always say I'd rather be happy instead of right. <laughs> I'm always like, you know, going right. like I want to tell somebody how they're doing something. But, you know, healthcare professionals are really stressed right now. And I'm following some of the the posts on social media. And um, I heard one uh, person who has kidney disease saying, oh, my goodness, my my time was cut short. They said the staff was uh, sick. And, you know, we're going to have some real stressors. So uh, staff need to be empathetic, but patients need to be empathetic to the staff. And they need to understand what stresses they have because they're dealing with child care because everybody's kids are at home with them and they're trying to go to work. And it's uh, it, we're all in a pressure cooker right now. So, uh, yeah. Hey, this is Glenda. And, yes, so much has changed in the dialysis environment for everyone. Um, the routines have changed. Uh, there's had to be new education about watching out for the symptoms of if you have this, if your loved ones have the COVID, if staff have it, and just the screening and all of the procedures at the dialysis units have changed uh, dramatically. And as you said, it, it certainly has put a lot of stress on everyone uh, one of the things, though, that we think is that the dialysis facility is very often um, a um, source of comfort uh, to the patients because of the routine. Uh, they do know the staff. They know, they know the other patients. Patients get together in the writing room and get to know each other and um, visit and share life stories. And so we see that the dialysis center is an important source of stability and routine, but right now all that routine is changing, and I can see where that would cause uh, some uh, some fears for patients as they start seeing patients come uh, patients coming in with masks on, and they're there, and they say, "Do they have it? Are we going to get it?" Um, and they see all the staff wearing a lot of new. Uh, you know, masks and gowns and different equipment and maybe even people are being asked to move chairs to be able to create special areas for patients that may be ill with this disease. So there's a lot going on that's changing, as you said, and it is causing uh, pressure and I think, you know, generates some fear for patients. I think, too, kind of building on that, that you know, when we when we talk about empathy as such an important tool for how we respond to each other, that when we have a lot of fear, that empathy is really hard to access. Um, you know, that when we're in that fearful place, we're sort of in that fight or flight place. And, you know, it takes kind of a higher order thinking to get there. And I think that speaks to why it is so important right now for all of us to exercise really good self-care and that goes for the 
staff and that goes for patients. And so whatever that means before you go into the dialysis in the morning, you know, whatever that means for you to get grounded, um, you know, for some people that is exercise, you know, I learned, I think I'm learning right now, I'm going to limit my caffeine intake through this period, <laughs> um, you know, to keep me on the calm side. Um, you know, for other people that might mean that I'm going to do, you know, some meditation and there, there are simple short medica- meditations that staff can teach patients, patients can find online that really help ground us when we're in this really highly stressful position. So, you know, in order to tap into that empathy, I think we've got to also front load it with some good self-care and being really kind to ourselves and allowing ourselves the the time to do that. So if you're saying to yourself, I need 30 minutes every morning to do my exercise or to do my yoga or to, you know, do whatever that is, that's not selfish at all because really in doing that, you're giving back to the people that you're around all day because you're coming in prepared to be able to respond in a less stressful way. I want to focus a little bit on the fear aspect of it because, you know, dialysis in itself is fearful. And, you know, some people are just having to start dialysis when all this is happening. And, you know, I thought what might be advantageous for this call is maybe do a little role playing on different scenarios that you've encountered in the facility. And uh, um, who would like to step forward and and be the patient? And who would want to be the professional? Because I think I think understanding the actual words are so important. I was going to volunteer to to pitch something to uh, to Liz. So I'll be a patient, Liz, and I'm really scared. I've been uh, reading things on the news, and I'm I'm really worried if I'm going to be all right or not. Yeah, I think. I hear you because a lot of people um, are telling me that they're feeling really anxious right now. And, you know, I'm noticing that a lot of people um, say that it's impacting their sleep and it's impacting their concentration. And why don't you tell me a little bit more about what's going on with you? Uh, so definitely not sleeping as well at night. Um, even feel like because of the social distancing, I can't just get together with friends and do things that would help relieve tension and be fun. I just sort of feel like I have to sit at home and do nothing. And then that makes me worry even more. Yeah. So a lot of the things that you've done in the past to help you cope with this kind of stuff, now you're having trouble accessing those. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I tell you, I've learned a technique uh, that I've that I've heard has helped some other people when they're feeling really anxious. Um, and I was wondering if it'd be okay with you if I shared it with you. It only takes just a minute. Yes. Yes. I would like that. Thank you. Okay. So what I want you to do uh, for just a minute is to close your eyes and okay. breath. And I want you right now to tell me, actually, you need to open your eyes, um, five things that you see around you right now. Yeah, books, computer, pen, uh, highlighter, uh, pictures on the wall, computer printer, uh, bookcases. Perfect. What about four different things that you hear? right now. So just take a second and listen and tell me what you hear. It could be your own voice, 
breathing, air conditioner running. So I hear the uh, fan on the computer running in the background. I hear a little bit of static on this phone line. Um, it's pretty quiet where I am otherwise, so I'm going to have to throw in my breathing then because I'm struggling. Okay. And what about, uh, can you maybe tell me three things you might smell right now? Uh, so I put on some hand cream this morning. I can smell that. I was drinking some lemon water, so I'm smelling the lemon. Uh, I guess those are the only things I'm smelling. Okay. And two things you might feel. That could be like the socks on your feet or maybe heat, uh, the phone on your face. Two things you might feel. Yeah, so I actually put on an extra pair of socks today just to keep my feet warm, so my feet feel nice and toasty. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm wearing a coat and tie, so my neck feels a little tight. Yeah, okay. So this is just one of many strategies that you might be able to use that, that might be helpful to in those moments when you're feeling really anxious to sort of help ground you. Um, so there are lots of different things that we can do. And what I would say right now is to pay attention, like maybe until I see you next week, to those times that you are feeling anxious, what's happening in your life, and maybe write that down. And then also those times that you aren't feeling anxious, to pay attention to what's happening. And is there something that happened to help kind of decrease some of that anxiety because what we want to talk about next time I see you is doing that more often um, and then trying this or another technique you might think of in those moments that you're feeling really anxious to work through. Good. All right. Well, that gives me something to do. You know, that's awesome. I think that was such a great tip because uh I know, and I have the saying, it is a kidney joke, but when you have one foot in tomorrow and another foot in yesterday, you're pissing on today. And and I tell myself that all the time because it's so true because I start thinking about what's going to happen in the future and what's going to happen, and I get really, really anxious. But if I get down to the point of living in the moment, it helps me not be so anxious. And that strategy is so great because it's putting you in the moment when you actually are okay, our brain, and I don't know if you guys, but I have this committee in my brain that just goes nuts. It's, it's in full session right now talking and and uh, and uh, what I do, and I don't know if I'm be diagnosed with another illness, but it it does it does uh, uh, run rampant at times. And um, I've u- I've used a strategy that I, I say, wait to worry. I'm gonna wait to worry about that till tomorrow. And then I try to shut the door on those feelings. Because yeah. it's it's you have to figure out some coping mechanisms to calm anxiety, or it's going to make you sick. <laughs> I mean, that's really what what happens. Absolutely, and I think you know one of the important things that Dr. Moss just said, kind of leading into this, was you know everything that I've done in the past doesn't work anymore because I'm isolated, and I think that is something that's really unique to this you know COVID experience. I think in an ideal setting, what we do want to remember is that what works for Lori, what works for Dale, what works for me, we're all different. And so if we can help people cultivate whatever it is for them, 
that's really important. So if if there are opportunities to be able to elicit that from a patient, be able to say, tell me about what has worked for you in the past, we should do that. And if they're at a block, if they're really struggling, then to be able to give them a tool. So one of the things that we do know is that all of us, when when we're given a tool to like quote help us in some ways, it has some. It gives us some sort of psychological relief. It you know all all of us do. And so just the act of trying something new um, to calm that anxiety can often at least get us on the right track. Um, it's it's uh, we need a major coping strategies uh, one oh three right, and we're only at one oh one. Um, I want to I want to move a little bit to uh, uh, we're dealing with hearing a lot of information about a loss of life in the country. Um, we've certainly experienced that in a dialysis facility. It's a very serious issue, and so maybe you can give us a little bit of information on on this subject and perhaps do another role playing. Any volunteers? I'm happy to volunteer. Can I give the broad overview? The in the the broad overview is that there's a a big pull to go towards not talking about it. And in part, that's because people are afraid it's going to make the person sadder. But the person who's lost someone is already sad. They're already in their grief. And so one of the things we can do for people is is be with them, even just our presence. It's not a lot of words that are needed, but just to acknowledge and say, you're not alone. I, I know that you're in this difficult time. I'm with you. So, okay, so to role play that, um, I'll be a patient whose husband died, just died in the hospital um, two days ago, and I was not able to be with him because he was in isolation for COVID. So I'm coming into my session, Liz, and I'm, I don't even say anything, but you can see I'm kind of tearful. Yeah. Hey, Dale. Um, I I just saw you over here, and um, you looked kind of upset. And I just wanted to take a minute and come sit down and tell me a little bit about what's going on. Oh, Liz, I can't. Liz, I can't even. I can't even. I can't even. It's just too much right now. I couldn't even be with him. Yes. So your husband. I couldn't. We've been together for 45 years, and I couldn't be there. So I heard this morning about Frank, and oh my goodness, I know how much uh, he loved you and always in the unit with you. I've loved his cheerful smile, and you're going through all of this, and in addition, just dealing with the the COVID, you weren't, you weren't able to be there. I never, I never, ever imagined it would be like this. I never, ever imagined I wouldn't be able to at least hold his hand at the end. Feels like even more of a loss because you weren't able to be there. It's beyond anything I could have imagined. Mm-hmm. I just am heartbroken for you that you're going through this right now. And I'm heartbroken I, too. It's just devastating. 
I want you to know that you are safe here to talk to me about this anytime. Um, if you need space to vent um, or just somebody to come here and sit beside you, I might not know the right thing to say, but I want I want to be here with you right now. Thank you, Liz. That helps. I that helps me feel not quite so lost. Okay. So in that particular encounter, and of course doing these um, not face to face is a little bit different. But then again, that's probably how we're doing some of these right now. Is you know, via telephone or telehealth or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But what we want to be able to communicate is, one, I can sit with your your really difficult emotions. I'm not going to try to tell you not to feel that way, um, but that that I can handle hearing that difficulty, you know, that difficult negative emotion. And the second strategy is being able to call the loved one by their name. So we want to really try to honor that person by using their name and remembering something special about them and then just reinforcing what Dale just said that, you know, it's it's easy to get hung up and worrying about the content of what we say and the words that we say. But, you know, what we really know is you know, 75 to 85% of what we communicate is not actually the words. Mm -hmm. It's our tone. It's the fact that we're present with people and our body language. Um, And so I often hear patients literally say to me, I just want someone to sit down with me. Just sit with me. Um, And so just allowing that space and demonstrating that time. Those are kind of the three main things that we want to do when we're dealing with the responding to someone's death is allow the negative feeling, call the caregivers or the loved one's name and um, and just really work on how can I be present? I can tolerate your negative feeling. Well, you know, it's interesting. You're, one, oh, go ahead. Liz, can I just ask you, this might get cut out, but Liz, can I just ask you, there are a couple cultures where it's taboo to say the name of a person who's died, I believe among oh. the Navajo, and I think there are a couple other. So mm-hmm. so just that advice would be, to you need to be culturally aware, and if you're in a culture where it's handled differently, there's probably some other appropriate way you do it. Like if you're not supposed to use their name, you might be saying you're your husband I, there there would be a culturally appropriate way to do it so just that one little caveat well that's interesting because when you were talking about that um i'm friends with a lot of people on social media i have like 1400 friends and because people friend me and and i don't always know them but i know that they have kidney disease and i often see sadly that people pass away and uh, it's interesting because exactly what you said is that I don't want to even like make a sad face or like the comment. I see like there's like a hundred likes or a hundred sad faces, but I really enjoy the comments that do what you say that say, oh, wow, John was so wonderful. He loved you so much. So make it take the time to be personal about it. And and I've made the decision that if I don't have something specific to say, I don't even 
respond because it, it's almost like it's flip it. Like I'm like, wow, I just I just shared a really, really serious thing on social media and people put R.I.P. Rest in peace. And I'm like, that just makes me feel worse than um, mm -hmm. actually saying something that would give me comfort. So um, I, uh, that's just my perspective. But I do think a lot of people are on social media now. If you don't know, know the person, if you don't know their loved ones, you can't offer that. Then ask them. Tell me about John. He must have been really special. And the second thing I'm going to add is Keep on doing it. You know, grief lasts a long time. And I'll never forget um, having a, a caregiver that had been a patient of mine, that, or whose spouse had been a patient of mine for a long time. About seven or eight months later, I asked about her loved one again. I was like, oh, tell me again about John or whatever, you know, his name was. And she said, thank you so much for letting me talk about him. Because nobody lets me talk about him anymore. Nobody wants to hear it. And so, you know, I think just remembering how important in the healing process it is for people to be able, to, because they're still living with this, to be able to talk about that, you know, far after sometimes um, that loss has happened. Well, and I think... So, um, that, it, oh, what you said reminds me, or, or, or Lori, what you said reminds me that in the time of COVID where we're having to be very creative about using social media, using the phone, writing letters maybe, you know, using non, not being in the same room with each other. So how do you show your presence? You, know, you can send somebody a little pressed flower in the mail. You can um, take a picture of something and and send it to them. There, there are ways to um, show that you're thinking of them, show your connection, but we have to, we're all going to have to get creative. And also we're not going to make, we're not going to get it right all the time because we're, we're working in this completely new situation. And so being a little forgiving of each other, of ourselves and our, each other, if we don't quite get the right tone on Facebook because that's such a new, that's such a different way to do it. Mm -hmm. Like I know for a long time when all you could do was a smiley face, it was like, how can I put a smiley face when somebody just announced that their family member died? That doesn't, I can't <laughs> like it. I don't like that. <laughs> I know it's so, it's so true. Uh, you know, I want to wrap up with one more role playing and because I think these are so effective. And that's when a person who has kidney disease is, you know, struggling and they've decided to go on palliative care. And perhaps we can have two more volunteers that could role play that. This is Glenda. I'll volunteer to be the patient. Woody, can you be the... Yeah, so I guess I was thinking, I said, yeah, I guess I should uh, volunteer to be the clinician. Okay. Um, <laughs> why don't I start? So, Glenda, I, I assume you're a dialysis patient in this role play. <laughs> And I see from your chart that you just were in the hospital and were discharged. How how did that go? Oh, my doctor, it was the worst thing that has ever happened to me. I cannot tell you the amount of suffering and the fear. And I just have to look you in the eye and say, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to go through that again, doctor. I just, I'm so tired of it all. I've just, you know, I've given it my best. 
I've had a lot of really good years, um, and I'm grateful for the years that I've had and the people that I love. And um, but I just I can't I really can't do this anymore. I just getting up and coming to the dialysis unit every day is or every other day is just wearing me out. And when I get done with it, I go home and all I do is just lay in the bed. Uh, okay. I just, I just am tired of it. Let, let me let me make sure I understand you. So, what in particular about the hospital experience you you said you couldn't do that anymore? What was difficult about that? Well, for one thing, I was just so sick, and then I they took me to the ICU unit, and at one point I had one of those tubes down my throat. I couldn't even talk. Um. I couldn't even tell people I love them when they came to see me. Um, I and I, it was it was it was painful. The whole thing was painful, and <clears throat> there were just strangers coming in all the time. And I just didn't feel. I never felt any comfort. I never felt like I was home. I just really wanted to just be home. Okay. It sounds like you also didn't really have a sense of dignity in that situation. You were sort of stuck on a machine and people who, who you didn't know and you had no control over the situation. Um, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. That's exactly right. So that sounds like that was a really hard experience. Now, the other thing I heard you say was that you're exhausted, that really coming to the dialysis unit is getting harder for you. Am I hearing you correctly? It is. I can't get comfortable sitting in the chair anymore. The noises bother me. Just getting here is a major ordeal. You know, just getting up and getting ready and getting all my stuff together with my bag to bring and then waiting for the transportation, which half the time is late. And then just getting there. And I've had trouble with my vascular access. It's just, it's just become a lot, but it's really more that I can't, I just feel like I can't be comfortable anymore. I feel like right. I'm uncomfortable all the time. Okay. Now, you've, you've been on dialysis for how many years? I've been on dialysis for 12 years, and I know that I'm lucky, and I'm so grateful for those 12 years. Yeah. So, obviously, you've, you've, you've done this a lot. So, tell me, as you look at your life, I mean... What what has given your life meaning, and where are you right now in thinking about things that you might still want to accomplish? Well, what's given my life meaning, uh, a lot of it was my work through the years, but also mainly with my family, my children and my grandchildren. And I've, you know, just been blessed to be able to see them all grow up and um, living good lives and being good people and um and so that's that's been a lot of meaning for me now and I find a lot of joy in knowing um that you know we're we're a family that's been through a lot together but we've supported each other and um I just I feel a lot of joy in them 
being having their own lives, being stable in their lives, and I don't feel like there's anything I need to do for them anymore, you know? Okay. Um, <laughs> so it sounds to me like you're at peace with where you are right now. I am. I'm at peace and I just don't I don't wanna have any more suffering. Okay. I really don't. Okay. I'm at peace with my family, I'm at peace with my God. Um Yeah. And it, and it sounds, you know, a lot of patients tell me they want to live as long and as well as possible and die gently. And I think your concern right now is to focus on the gentle part to make sure you're comfortable and that really your day-to-day quality of life, it sounds like is a struggle. It is. And that's right. You're exactly right. I do want to go gently. And, um, and I, I want some help with that. Okay. Yeah. Is this the first time you've thought about this? Is this something that maybe we should rediscuss in a few days or your next treatment or where, where are you in your thinking about this? I've been thinking about it for a long time. You know, as I say, my family has grown and I'm delighted with that. And, and the more, the older I get and the more, you know, (laughs) the miseries I get and, and the burdens of, you know, just getting into dialysis. Um, I've, I've given it a lot of thought. And, of course, you know, I've been in the hospital four times in the last, I think it's six or seven months. That's and every time it's harder. Every time it's harder. Yeah. So let me let me tell you what I'd like to suggest. How about if um, we plan to meet on your next treatment? Let me give the social worker a heads up. And why don't we discuss options that you would have so that we can sort of make sure that whatever happens from here on in is according to to how you want it to go. I would like that. I would like that very much. Okay. All right. Well, that's what we'll do. Thank you for opening up and being honest with me today. I, you know, I, I just to look at you today, I knew something was going on, but I wasn't quite sure what. Well, thank you for for noticing and for taking the time to be here with me. You're welcome. Wow. (laughs) Um, I think this is one of the most difficult kidney talks I've ever done because I've experienced this with a lot of my friends and, and, you know, we just don't live forever. And that's, uh, we all want to have a certain amount of control. I know I do when my tide comes that my quality of life is no longer uh, viable and I don't feel like I really can do what I used to do and there's no hope that me to have a better future. So um, thank you for um, role-playing and bringing up that difficult topic. Uh, I want to kind of wrap this up with, um, you know, some resources we can give people. This, This Kidney Talk episode could be a day seminar. And uh, I think um, perhaps we can just maybe go around to every guest and maybe everybody can give a tip before we wrap up for the day. This is Glenda. I'll go first. Um, Something that I have said to the people that I've worked with, the kidney patients I've worked with over the years, about replanning, about thinking about what is it you would want or not want um, in certain circumstances, and in particular when you can't, you couldn't make your decisions for yourself or voice your decisions for yourself, 
is that it is a gift to your loved ones to talk about it now. To let them know what you would know and what you wouldn't want. That's a gift you give to them that is um, invaluable to them. Because if they were in a situation where you could no longer speak for yourself, and they didn't know, you hadn't, you just had never talked about it. It's one of those things that's like, well, that's hard, let's not do that. But it's a gift to give them so that they know clearly what it would is that you would want or not want in a situation where you could no longer say that to yourself. So I would just say, think about it. This is a gift you're giving to your loved ones. Thank you. So in terms of resources, Lori, uh, Dale, the My Way uh, Guide for Advanced Care Planning for Patients is on the Kidney Supportive Care website, correct? It is, indeed. The My Way Make Your Wishes About You, it guides, it's specifically for people who have CKD and ESKD to help them think about just what Glenda was saying, who would you want as your decision maker, and then talking with them about it so that they know what to do, what you would have wanted. It relieves, it really relieves them of guilt and burden if that time comes that they have to speak for you. I, I just think it's a really good resource. It's a five-step process. It walks people through. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's written in uh, easy-to-understand language. And we'll provide the link on uh, the Kidney Talk page on our website. One of the things I think I want to close with, the Coalition for Supportive Care of Kidney Patients, we have lots of resources, both for staff and for patients. And patients, I would say, um, say to your staff members and your kidney, to tell them to come to the coalition and get resources too, because we're trying to support them as well. And the thing I would, I would want to leave everyone with is to, as, as you're just overwhelmed by the, the, if you are overwhelmed by all the changes, to rest in something of beauty. There's both humor and beauty. Lots of people are going for the humor, and I think lots of people are going for the beauty. So just to, some favorite piece of music or a flower or the smile of a grandkid in a, in a photo someone sent you that just, just the sense of resting for a moment in that beauty can be really nourishing. Thank you. So Liz, and uh, can you give us some closing remarks? Yes. I think that now more than ever, it's important for patients to be confident and comfortable and talking to their dialysis facility staff about anything. So being able to say, I feel anxious about this issue. I'm grieving the loss of, you know, whatever that might be. You know, my income has changed because of this or, you know, I'm grieving the loss of a loved one. But being able to assertively communicate those things is really important be able to allow yourself to feel some of those negative feelings that acknowledge that's a normal part of the process. It's healthy to feel those things. And then the third thing is um, trying to find some kind of technique when you're really, really down or anxious um, that kind of helps ground you, like the one we went over today. There are lots of them on YouTube. Um, you can just Google grounding techniques or relaxation techniques, but get familiar with one. Um, that can help you through those moments. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for uh, sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, and most importantly, your empathy. And I think uh, we need to reach out, help each other, communicate, and, uh, you know, 
get through this. We're all going to get through this. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lori, for what you you do. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.